There's always a point in a person's life when you can look back and feel that that was the turning point. The turning point in my life came when I was very young, just eight years of age, in fact. It was the night my father died. I vividly remember that night. My father was a young pastry cook and baker who had just established his own business. He bought a large property and established it in the heart of Box Hill, a thriving business employing many people. He had four young children. I was eight years and the eldest. The other three were much younger, including our baby sister who had just been born. My dad had large debts, a heavy mortgage and some bad habits. He was a compulsive gambler. He'd bet on anything that moved, including the traditional flies walking up a wall. He was also a heavy drinker. In those far-off days of 1947, it wasn't easy to get a drink in Box Hill. We were one of those communities in Melbourne that had always voted to remain dry. There were no hotels in Box Hill, and there are still none to this day. There were no licensed restaurants, no taverns, no bottle shops. If a man wanted the drink, he had to drive to Doncaster or to Blackburn or to some other far-off place. My father was a very popular man with other drinkers in the community because he had the ability to sense that there were some bottles of beer out there available for sale and he could go straight to them. He knew all the sly grog joints. He knew how to buy beer at the back of the billiard saloon, where to go down to the old ramshackle wooden house off Turner Street where a man always had some of his laundry for sale at a price. Now, although illegal, these sly grog joints were the hope of the alcoholics in the community, of whom the young pastry cook and baker was one. My mother had her hands full with a husband who worked odd hours, starting early in the morning in the bakehouse, and who drank into the late night. On many occasions, my father would be drunk and unable to walk up Bank Street to our home. On those nights, often about midnight, my mother would wake me and take me for company, and we went out to look for Daddy. On one night, which I remember so vividly, she woke me and asked if I would come with her down the street to look for Daddy. We walked down the hill in Miller Street, turned into Bank Street, and under the one site which was near the top of the hill, we saw the body of a man lying in the gutter. He had stumbled and fallen. Now, there were many times we found him asleep on the ground with his back against the bakehouse wall, keeping warm from the furnace behind. We knew how to get him on his feet and to place his arms around our shoulders and to help him home while he called out to the world in general or else abused us. This night, we knelt beside him to lift him up and we both realised he was very cold and very stiff. I had never seen a dead person before. Something was numb inside me. Neither my mother nor I could believe it really was Dad, but she knew something had to be done. It meant a rushed walk half a mile down to the bakehouse to reach the only telephone that was in our area. We rang Dr. Kemp and went back knowing that he would ring an undertaker to come and bring the body back to our house where Dr. Kemp would examine him and pronounce death and then take the body away. We turned immediately to Dr. Kemp because he was the man in the community to whom everyone turned in time of need. 
He was one of those doctors that came whenever you called him, regardless of the time or the weather. So on this night, when we found the body of my father in the gutter in Bank Street, he came out immediately to comfort my mother and to pronounce death over my father. After pronouncing my father dead and making the arrangements for the removal of the body, he spoke to my mother with his usually Scottish habit of calling her lass. And his arm was round her, and she wept on his shoulder. Then came the remarkable event which was to stay in my memory. We lived in number five Miller Street, Box Hill. It was half a small house, and we lived with my grandmother, a frail little Scots lady who was slowly becoming demented. My mother was really having difficulty in coping with her four young children, a demented mother-in-law, and a husband who was a gambler and an alcoholic. On this night, Dr. Kemp comforted her, and then left her in the front room to cry alone, and then he asked me to come with him out to the back wash house, where he might speak with me, where none of the other members of the family who had by now woken would hear. By now some neighbours had come in, some relatives and friends, and Dr. Kemp wanted to talk to me personally. We had a wash house down a narrow concrete path to the rear of the house. It had a brick copper in the corner, under which a fire was stoked, and over it a copper lid with one cold water tap. Next to it was a stone trough in which my mother could soak the clothes, and on the end of the trough was our latest acquisition, the adjustable hand wringer. I loved to turn the big handle and watch the clothes come out of the stone trough through the ringer with the water running back into the trough while the squeezed clothes dropped down into the cane basket on the floor beneath. Dr. Kemp switched on the single globe that hung from the roof and looked at me. I'd been crying. My eyes were red and wet with tears. I can remember it as clearly now as the day it happened forty years ago. As he took me by the shoulders and looked into my eight-year-old eyes, he said, Gordon, you are now the man of the family. Your mother is going to need your help to bring up the other children. You cannot take over from your father, but you can take responsibility for yourself, lad. I guess the first thing that you should learn to do is to clean your shoes properly. He had noticed that on the lid of the copper were my school shoes, covered with mud. They had been drying out there. And then while he took and talked to me more about life and death and the changes that came upon us all, he took a scrubbing brush from the wash trough and scrubbed the mud off using just a little water. Then he talked to me about faith, about how God made us to live eternally. He showed me how to put shoe polish on my shoes, dipping the brush into that tin of nugget black, and then put them aside to dry overnight. While he talked to me about heaven and eternal life, he told me how to polish the shoes in the morning. Now I want you always to clean your shoes, and clean those that belong to your brother and sisters, and to save your mother that job, lad. That night we had what I call grief therapy counselling. I also learned to take responsibility for myself, and from that night, ever since, I've cleaned my shoes. 
The night my father died, I took responsibility for myself. As Dr. W.A. Kemp looked into my eyes and told me about life and death, about faith and hope, and how to clean my shoes. I really felt I grew up that night, and I often reflected upon the influence of that doctor as I walked home up Bank Street along the railway line to the hill and to Five Miller Street Box Hill, a great city that was still a village where the adults were kind and where the children grew up responsibly. <laughs> ¶¶